the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Josh Pick is the Chief Investment Advisor with Aptus Wealth Management, a state-registered investment advisory firm. This program is sponsored by Aptus Wealth Management. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell financial vehicles. This information should not be considered tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult with professionals to see if any ideas expressed would fit their specific situation. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Securities can fluctuate and when redeemed may be more or less than when originally invested. Welcome to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. Every week, Josh will teach you ways to help manage, risk, and protect your retirement income in the new economy. The primary focus at Aptus Wealth is to provide flexible planning strategies that can efficiently achieve your long-term retirement goals. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Hope you're having a great weekend. Just want to let you know that you can also hear Josh every Monday at 6 p.m. with Bruce Hooley. It is Money Mondays on 98.9 The Answer. And you can always listen on your own time to the podcast, which is found at aptuswealth.com. Hi, Josh. As we are looking ahead to the rest of this year, what are some important deadlines or dates or, or things for people to keep in mind? Well, first, you know, planning is everything. And uh, I think it's very apropos timing to talk about uh, not just these dates, which we will, but to note that all planning takes time sometimes for the truth to kind of be unveiled. And what I mean by that is we're looking at the market and it's obviously a volatile time and people are very apt to make knee-jerk reactions in either direction because fear and greed is very strong amongst us right now as we look at the market. But, And we'll talk about that in a little bit of length and, and why I think that's important. But as we look at the year, a couple of important dates, um, you know, March 31st, right around the corner, uh, is the open enrollment time for Medicare. Uh, April 1st is not that important this year uh, as it is in typical years. If you have to take minimum required distributions, which remember it used to be when you were 70 and a half, you had to take minimum required distributions out of your qualified accounts, IRAs, et cetera. They have since changed that age. If you were not a 70 and a half by the end of 2019, then you do not have to take minimum required distributions until you're 72. But that date is an unusual one, uh, and it's April 1st as opposed to April 15th. I have no idea why the government elected to do that. You would think it would be April 15th, which is tax filing time just like every other year, but it has to be by April 1st for your first year. Again, that's pretty moot and that you didn't have to take one for 2020 if you didn't want to. And then, of course, that rounds the turn to April 15th, your tax filing year. Uh, with COVID, I think that could be a, it could be an interesting tax filing session, but it is April 15th, and then anybody that has to file uh, quarterly taxes knows the other dates, the June 15th, the September 15th, et cetera, where you have to file your quarterly taxes. So those are kind of the important dates that most of us have to abide by. But to circle back around, and I hate to kind of dance around your question, but something that I'm hearing a lot that I think is is, is pertinent to say is what's going on with the market, particularly, you know, timing, not just timing on when I should file my taxes, not timing on, you know, planning for the future, but it's sometimes difficult to not recognize that the market is on fire. 
and people are saying, you know, how important is planning and sticking to the plan when, you know, the market was up 18% last year. So I think it, it's worth noting, and, and I bring this up because I think a lot of questions that we'll end up covering today, I'll, I'll reference back to this. The market last year in 2020 was only up 1% through January or through November 1st. The rest of the gains, which was 18% in total for the year, occurred in November and December. If you did not own six stocks, you gave up approximately 75% of those gains. You would have earned four if you got rid of the fan stocks. This is very reminiscent, by the way, of 1999 and 2000, where there were several stocks that, just a few stocks really, that comprised the bulk of the growth of the S&P 500. One of those stocks was Microsoft. We think of Microsoft as a, you know, the 800-pound gorilla of the world now, but back then, it was the new rising juggernaut, not the established company that we know today. It took over 15 years after the dot-com bubble burst for Microsoft to get back to normal. So I tell you all this, even though you just, Diane, you asked me one question about what are some important dates as we look at the rest of the year. And I started off with planning is everything when it comes to remembering these important dates, but planning is everything when it comes to retirement planning. And the last thing that I think people should be doing right now is being too tempted by the fear of not getting on the train uh, and riding up that really, you know, you look at the, the FANG stocks, the Facebook, Amazon, Apple, um, Netflix, Google, and you want to be a part of that excitement. And I caution you that now may not be the time to be a part of that excitement, that just like we should plan for the important dates coming up, we should absolutely plan for a strategic, uh, rules-based approach to investing that isn't going to just participate in these upswings and also in the downswings. We have to plan for what is going to be a good plan in the long run, not just in the short market cycle. And, and I'm feeling, Diane, the reason I bring this up is as I'm having conversations with clients, it's the same type of conversations I had right before the financial housing crisis. It's the same conversations I had before the dot-com bubble. It is that uh, kind of euphoria of I'm going to miss out, I'm going to miss out. Look at the fact that Tesla's up 100% you know, in the last few months. Don't fall victim to that trap. Stick to the plan. The plan will end up being what gets you to retirement or gets you through retirement if you're already there. Don't get caught up in your buddies at the gym telling you how much they've made on the certain certain stock. Everybody wants to tell you about their victories and not their defeats. And the other thing is you manage, if you have a million dollars, and this is a common one, where uh, sometimes clients or friends of clients will say, you know, last year, I picked up Tesla and I made, you know, X, Y, Z percent. Well, know that out of the million dollars that they had, they probably only threw $5,000 at that. They didn't put $800,000 in it. You manage large quantities of money significantly different than you do when you say, I'm going to take $5,000 and take some gambles with it. So when we're talking about your livelihood for the rest of your life, you have to manage that in a way that can be predictable that is planable, that's rooted in mathematical mathematics, valuations, et cetera. It's not rooted on, I really think that this is going to be great. It's just a, it's not a plan. It's a hope and a prayer. This is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. To schedule your own planning session and learn new strategies to manage risk, call Josh. The number is 614-364-7300. Give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300.
zero zero. Josh, what does it mean for the stock market and in turn our investments that incorporate stocks when treasury rates are rising? The treasury rates are essentially, you know, just fixed interest rates is what we're watching. And when fixed interest rates are really, really low, that's usually an indication that we have a strong market ahead, meaning when we're lowering interest rates, it usually bodes well for stocks, particularly growth stocks. And I think we've seen that over the last 10 years as interest rates continued to retract back to rates where we could get mortgages on a 30-year mortgage for less than 3%, you saw the stock market explode. And that's not the only reason that the stock market explodes, but it is one significant factor that can affect it. When interest rates go the other way, and we're seeing you know, the 10-year treasury has risen by about 20 basis points since the start of the year, uh, basis points being uh, essentially a, a one hundredth of a percent. So if I say 10 basis points, it's 0.1%. So it doesn't seem significant, but it is significant when we're at the lowest interest rates we've ever been in history. That could potentially mean that we are in for a period where growth stocks will not do as well. And you know, I'm not alone in that opinion in that growth stocks and value stocks, and for everybody listening, growth stocks are the stocks like the one I just mentioned, like Tesla, like Amazon, et cetera. Value stocks are stocks like Johnson & Johnson, Procter & Gamble, uh, Home Depot, these stocks are ones of established companies who make so much revenue but have fewer ideas on places to go. In other words, if you have, uh, let's say, Home Depot in your town, you can only have so many Home Depots on every corner. Uh, you know, Starbucks figured this out pretty quickly. You can only have so many Starbucks before you walk out the door of one Starbucks and directly into the door of another. Once you reach that point of saturation and you're kind of out of good ideas, those revenue streams are effectively paid back to you in a form of a dividend. And dividend companies or value companies and growth companies react very differently to different market conditions. And historically speaking, this is no you know, predictor of the future, but historically speaking, dividend stocks and growth stocks have kind of periods of time where they do very well and there seems to be a change of the guard. And that usually happens about every six to 10 years. It's just the ebbs and flows of the way our economy grows. And I can show you historical charts all the way back to the 50s that show this transition happening periodically. Well, we've been in a growth phase of our economy since 2009, meaning for the last 11 years, growth stocks have absolutely trounced value stocks. So now you take into account, Diane, the fact that interest rates are starting to rise. Growth stocks have seen uh, historical growth rates. And dividend stocks really haven't done that well. Well, we could be reaching a point of transition where value stocks will start doing very well and growth stocks will start lagging behind. Again, no prediction of the future, but I'm not alone in this estimation. Many experts are saying, you know, the tech stocks that have kind of led the charge over the last 10 years are reaching the end of that time frame and they're going to start to slow their growth pattern. Where the companies like Johnson & Johnson and Procter & Gamble, the ones that I mentioned before, who haven't done as well, should start coming back to their time to shine and dividends will become very, very valuable as GDP growth slows. So the takeaway here, Diane, is as interest rates rise, usually not great for the stock market, but worse typically for technology and growth stocks than it is for value stocks. Okay. And all of these items in terms of you talking about the treasury rates, what's best for your clients, you cover all of this during the Aptis blueprint process when you're meeting new people. Absolutely. The, the point of that process is not to just figure out what your goals and objectives are and to make sure that we can reach those and find out about your savings rates and, and what you want to achieve. But it's also explaining, it's an educational process to explain how we get there. 
One thing that I hear all the time, Diane, is when, I, when people walk out, they go, you explained so much more to me than anybody else I've ever worked with. And that's because I firmly believe that education or knowledge has a tremendous amount of value in making clients feel comfortable about what their future looks like. So not just, yeah, you'll be good, you should be fine, you have enough money, but what would some of those landmines be along the way? How are we investing? What does our rules-based approach look like? And what are expectations? And expectations are everything. If the market does in fact pull back by 30%, what does that look like for me? What would my portfolio do? And having that knowledge and then seeing that come true one way or the other, either on the upside or the downside, is comforting, even when the market isn't so strong. At least you know why you are where you are and what to expect moving forward. Let's go over the steps, Josh, when you meet a new potential client for the first time. Yeah, so first step, we call it the discovery phase. Uh, we want to find out what you've done up to this point to reach whatever goal it is that you're trying to achieve. Typically retirement. So what have you been saving into your 401k, your IRAs, et cetera? What does retirement look like for you? Do you want to live in Columbus, Ohio, or do you want two homes, et cetera? All the things that, you know, those hopes and dreams, even some, some of the crazy ones. Uh, we want to learn everything about it and see what you've been doing so far. Then in meeting two, we call the analysis phase. We're going to analyze all of the information that you provided us and show you what that future looks like for you if we make no change whatsoever. And maybe that arrow hits a target. Maybe there's some landmines along the way to that road to retirement that we can try and alleviate. We accomplish all of that in meeting number three. We call it the blueprint. Very specifically the blueprint because rest assured when we're done with that meeting, you will have an actionable blueprint that you can make sure your financial house does not fall over as a result of. So these are all the adjustments. What would we do differently to either lower risk and achieve the same result? Or do we need to make some adjustments to lower taxes? Or is there any risk in the event that one of you, uh, you know, husband and wife scenario, one of you would pass away earlier going to an assisted living facility? Cover all of the bases. And then not until meeting number four do we decide if this is a mutually beneficial relationship, then in turn implementing the plan. And then uh, you're a client of ours for a really long time. To schedule an appointment to go through the Aptis Blueprint process, the number is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. More of the Aptis Retirement Blueprint show with Josh Pick next. We'll be back with more at the Aptis Retirement Blueprint show with Josh Pick at 98.9 The Answer. To create a successful retirement plan in today's economy, it takes a customized, solutions-based approach. At Aptis Wealth Management, founder Josh Pick calls it the Aptis Blueprint, and it's focused on managing risk instead of chasing returns. If you're working with another advisor or simply want a second opinion, put his team to work for you. To schedule a complimentary consultation to learn more about the Aptis Blueprint process, contact Josh at 614-364-7300 or visit aptiswealth.com. There is no cost or obligation, but space is limited. To start your plan, call 614-364-7300. 7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Welcome back to the Aptis Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. Josh, what are the situations where employees should not take uh, the 401k or other retirement fund option uh, from their employers? Well, first, let's say a, a reason why they should always do their 401k, and then we'll cover the reasons why they shouldn't. If your 401k provider or your, your company has a 401k that provides a match, no matter what you hear out 
from any of the suspected gurus, you should always do up to the match. That match is free money. Uh, if your employer matches dollar for dollar up to 3%, you should absolutely, if you can afford to, and it's hard not to afford to when they're going to give you free money, do up to that 3% threshold and then consider going around your 401k. So first and foremost, if your company does not provide a match, then these are some potential reasons why you wouldn't want to do your company 401k. For example, not all 401ks are created equal. And many 401ks, particularly for smaller companies, have outrageously high administrative costs. It costs money for your employer to have a 401k. And of course, if you have a gigantic company, the cost of administering that 401k on a per unit or per employee basis is very, very small. But if you work for a company that maybe only has 10 or 15 employees, that cost can be very significant. So make sure you review the costs associated with your 401k that can come in two forms, literally just administrative costs, meaning the cost of your company administering that plan is passed on to the participants, or it could come in the form of really, really high expense ratios of the funds available. So again, not always, but sometimes it can be a really costly mistake to go to your 401k in the pure form of just that cost. Secondly, and this is one that I see very, very commonly, Diane, and that is limited investment choices. And it does not, this one is actually irrespective of the size of the company that you work for. Meaning, for example, the government's thrift savings plan has very, very few choices associated with it. And some people view that as a benefit. And the benefit is, well, you know, I don't want to really hone in my retirement plan by picking, you know, one money manager versus the other or differentiating between growth stocks and value stocks. I just want to pick large company stocks via the S&P 500, which is widely classified as the quote unquote market, and just have it as inexpensive as possible and make it as simple for me to pick as possible. The downside to that is if your company 401k plan has very few options, as you get closer and closer to retirement, many times you will not have safe options available in your 401k to try and thwart some of the volatility that occurs. Imagine if in 2008, you were planning on retiring in 2009, and your company 401k only had stock options available in it, meaning large, mid, small, doesn't really matter what the size or international domestic was, but it didn't have any good, safe options available to you. Well, you might have had to postpone your retirement because your money went down by 50%, almost regardless of where you were invested in the stock market. So not having a variety of options can be a reason why you would want to diversify between your 401k and say a self-directed IRA. And the important thing to take away here is you don't have to settle for it. And what I mean by that is almost all 401ks at this point will allow you at a certain age, typically 59 and a half, again, as you're getting closer and closer to retirement, they will allow you to do what's called an in-service distribution or rollover from your 401k. It's important to note that this does not mean that you can't continue to contribute to your 401k. So you continue to contribute, get the match if it's available, get the tax deduction on your wages as it's available, but you can take a portion of your 401k out, roll it over to an IRA, not a taxable event. You're still postponing the tax bill until you take the money. But that affords you the option to invest in literally anything you choose. So if your 401k plan does not have safe options, you can go find them elsewhere. If you wanted to invest 
you know, in a mirror, it, let's say you want to invest in real estate or gold or, or any of the things that would definitely not be available or more than likely not be available inside of your 401k, you can gain access to them. So you do not have to settle for your 401k plan. You can go find lower cost options. You can find other investments, safer investments, or more aggressive investments. It's completely up to you. You're listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. To schedule your own planning session and learn new strategies to manage risk, call Aptus at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Josh, what are some taxes or fees people may not anticipate that can take a bite out of retirement income? Well, the two big ones for sure that I hear most often is Social Security. Um, most people do not know that Social Security can even become taxable, uh, and Medicare. And both of those are taxed, or in Medicare's uh, situation, the amount you pay for it is based upon the amount of outside income that you have. So with Social Security, for example, if you're living purely off of Social Security, you pay no federal income taxes on that Social Security. None. Not a nickel. However, if you had a, a, let's say, a pension that was $6,000 a month plus your Social Security, you can pay taxes on up to 85% of your Social Security, which does not mean you pay taxes at the rate of 85% on your Social Security and you only get to keep 15. That's not the case at all. But it does mean that if you're getting $2,000 a month out of Social Security, you will have to pay taxes on $1,700 of that Social Security per month. Most people are unaware that that's even part of the scenario or that it even occurs, but it can be a huge planning element. And why that's a huge planning element is it very much determines how we have to take into account for minimum required distributions. Minimum required distributions are a great problem to have. It means you have money and the government, you have so much money and you don't need it so bad, the government is going to force you to take some of it. So it's certainly a first world problem. That said, it is money that you don't want to take and that money that you do take or are forced to take could make your social security taxable. So we have to take that into account in the planning process to try and lower the amount of taxes, not only that you pay on your investments, but the amount of taxes that will end up being uh, caused to your social security that you might not otherwise had to pay. So again, we can control that in many scenarios, but we have to do it through proper planning. The second one that I brought up was Medicare. People get caught in this uh, kind of net all the time. There are five or six different payment levels for Medicare, starting at about, and I'm going to round here quite a bit, but starting at about 150 bucks a month for the average person. That accounts for up to $85,000 worth of income. So if you pay, uh, if you're making $80,000 a year and you're a single person, you pay approximately $150 per month for Medicare Part B. If you make a half million dollars a year, that same Medicare, the exact same thing, will cost you almost $500 a month. And then there are different steps along the way. And most people that are listening would go, well, you know, how many people make more than $500,000 a year? Agreed. But here's the big trap that people get caught into. And for whatever reason, CPAs don't seem to mention this one. If you're a married couple and you make under 170, each one of you pays that roughly $150 a month. But if you decide to file separately, if any one of you, so let's say it's a, let's say you have $160,000 worth of income and you file separately, but you decide that you're going to put $100,000 of the $160,000 under one person's name because it makes sense. You save money in your taxes. Many times I'll have clients come in and they say, hey, you know, my, my CPA saved me $400 this year on taxes by having us file separately. 
But by filing separately, if either one of you jump over the $85,000 threshold, you immediately, you know, you, you, you bypass go and immediately go to jail and you jump all the way up to the top bracket as if that person was making more than $500,000 a year. So great, you saved $300 in taxes this year, but your Medicare for the next 12 months will be an extra $300 a month. So it costs you $3,600 to save $300. It's one that people miss often, and you got to be careful about. And when you say people are talking to their accountants, what I love about your office is that you have access to tax professionals. So you're kind of like an all-in-one, one-stop shop. And your accountants will take in and tax people uh, exactly look at the big picture of your clients. So they all work. So you're not filing separately and kind of hurting yourself in other areas. No, I think it's important that uh, you know every occupation has its own nomenclature. You know, if I listen to if I listen to mechanics talk, I have no idea what they're talking about. Full disclosure, I'm not a I'm not a car guy nor a nor a mechanic. So when I hear them say things, I, I don't know what they're talking about. Well, similarly, I'm sure to a lot of people when they talk to their accountants, they're saying, "Well, we got to take advantage of cost basis thresholds and all this stuff." And they go, "I don't know what the heck he's talking about." So it's important that I know the language number one uh, of both. Uh, the legal profession as it relates to trust work and passing of funds to beneficiaries, which brings me to another point, uh, for example, and that's the 10-year payout rule that just changed uh, this year and, and the way that your IRAs can be passed to your beneficiaries. It used to be they could stretch those distributions over your lifetime. Now they have to take that money out over 10 years. That can be a huge tax pitfall that, they, that people didn't see coming. It's important that I understand how these things work and coordinate or quarterback the process between trust work with attorneys, your tax work with your accountant, and then the work that we do and make sure that we're all on the same page. Because while I don't understand the inner nuances of how to word a trust, I do understand the purpose of the trust and what type we need. While I do not maybe understand what box cost basis falls into on your tax return, I'm very keenly aware of how we can take advantage of losses and capital gains rates to our benefit so we can coordinate that through your account, et cetera. So I think you are right. While we might not do everything in-house, we have very tight relationships with many people in town and would be happy to establish more with your accountant or your CPA to make sure that we're all on the same page and we're not missing anything and we're taking advantage to all codes to the best of our abilities. When people, when you recommend your, if people are looking for a tax professional, do you definitely say if you insist on working with yours, then our office will be get in touch and we'll all work together as the team? Of course. Yeah. And, and you know, when I say we work with a bunch of different, uh, different professionals in town, it depends on what you're looking for too. You know, there's a, there's a difference between a CPA and a tax attorney, for example. You know, what is the difference? Well, a tax attorney is typically more expensive, but a tax attorney can also represent you in the event that you have any tax issues. They can represent you in tax court. So, you know, I'm not going to recommend you to a tax attorney and have you spend twice as much money if you don't really need a tax attorney. Um, you know, if your situation is very, very easy, do you need to go to a CPA and have them do your taxes for $800, or could you probably do just as well going to somebody that's going to charge you $150 or $200? It depends on your scenario. So many times we can also save you money based upon your scenario and where we tell you to go. Let me give you Josh's number, the Aptus Wealth Management Office number, so you can schedule your own personalized planning session or if you have questions. 
The number is 614-364-7300, 614-364-7300. The website is aptuswealth.com. And don't forget to join Josh every Monday for Money Mondays with Bruce Hooley. That's every Monday at 6 p.m. on 98.9 The Answer. We'll have more when we come back. We'll be back with more at the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick at 98.9 The Answer. Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Welcome back to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. Josh, even though people are not required to take a distribution from their tax-deferred retirement savings because of changes as a result of COVID, should they? Well, I mean, I think there's an obvious reason why you should. I mean, you don't have to, but what if you need the money, right? If you need the money, go ahead and take the money. I mean, that's why you had all these uh, retirement plans set up to begin with. So when you retired, you actually had money to be able to utilize for your retirement. So that's a very obvious reason why you should take it, even though you don't have to. But there are some other reasons that can improve your scenario, even if you don't need the money. Just because you don't have to doesn't mean you shouldn't. And let me give you a very easy example. Every single year I'll have somebody come in and they arguably are bragging about the fact that they paid no income taxes last year at all. So let me give you an example. Let's say it's a married couple and they're living uh, purely off of Social Security and they have no other outside income. Everything's paid off. You know, in, in parts of Ohio, that's a very comfortable life. However, every married couple, at least according to current tax law, gets a $24,000 standard deduction. So... Arguably, they could take $24,000 out of their IRAs and not pay any tax on it whatsoever. What they choose to do with that after that, we'll talk about. But that is a scenario where having a negative $24,000 in taxable income isn't the smartest idea. Particularly, let's think fast forward, new administration, different tax law. What if that tax law changes and now that is no longer an option? And now it's not even... You know, I can get it tax-free, but the tax code has changed where it's going to cost me tax dollars. You could theoretically take out money this year, pay no income taxes on it, rather than having to potentially pay income taxes later. On top of that, let's say that that money was in an IRA. Well, I can take money potentially out of my IRA at no to little tax liability and do what's called a Roth IRA conversion. By doing a Roth IRA conversion, and I think this warrants explaining the difference between traditional and Roth real quickly, Traditional IRAs, you put in pre-tax money, it grows tax-deferred, and the benefit is you're earning money on money you otherwise would have paid taxes on. So this is money coming out of your wages before you pay taxes on it, and then it's growing without paying taxes on the gains. But then every dollar you pull out of it is potentially taxable, and it's potentially taxable based upon whatever tax bracket you're in on those dollars at the time. Well, in the scenario I just described, we're pulling out money in a no-tax bracket. We're not paying any taxes at all. In doing a Roth conversion, Roth Roth IRAs are different and that you're putting in after-tax dollars. But as long as you leave those funds in for five years after a conversion, those funds in all gains forever to both you and your beneficiaries are tax-free. So if you think about those, those dollars sitting there growing for 10, 20, 30 years, you could have two, three, four, five times potentially the amount of money that you put in and gains that will forever be tax-free. So the objective of a Roth IRA conversion is pull out money at a lower tax rate than you would have to in the future, or potentially a zero tax rate, 
convert it to a Roth, knowing that you nor your beneficiaries will ever have to pay taxes on those monies moving forward. I always hate to see that free tax money go to waste. So make sure that you're investigating whether or not you could take a, uh, a distribution from your IRA, even maybe you don't have to, to be able to do that conversion. Secondly, because you've taken those funds out of your required minimum distribution pool, your required minimum distributions moving forward will theoretically be lessened, which will lower the impact of taxes on every other asset like we talked about earlier. Maybe your Social Security doesn't become taxable, et cetera, et cetera. Now, in today's environment, we don't necessarily know that taxes are going to go up in, you know, I don't know who I'm speaking to directly. Maybe your taxes will go up under the new administration. Maybe they won't. But I would much prefer to be in a situation where rather than try and predict what the next president's going to do with taxes or what Congress is going to end up enacting with taxes, I'm in a position where I don't care because I've already cleansed all of my money of taxes and any dollars coming out of a Roth IRA today, tomorrow, administration, doesn't matter, will be tax-free. And also, when I leave those to my children or whomever I leave them to, my legacy will also be tax-free. So there is no reason... Uh, to not do Roth conversions if you can do so in a beneficial situation tax-wise. Always do them. This is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. The Aptus Wealth Management number is 614-364-7300. Get a hold of Josh at 614-364-7300. Josh, let's talk about what people need to know before hiring a retirement advisor. Well, Diane, I know we've talked about this many times in the past, but first things first, Make sure you're working with somebody that has fiduciary responsibility to do what's in your best interest, not just the old broker adage of what is suitable for you. That at least ensures that you know the person you're speaking with is on the same side of the table as you, and they are looking at your assets uh, with the same level and comfort and care of knowing that we're trying to grow your pool because the only way that I make more money is if you make more money. So that's step one, work with a fiduciary. But I think beyond that, it's very important to note what they specialize in. Uh, when we reach the time of retirement, we're effectively switching from the accumulation stage of our lives to the distribution stage of our lives. And while that sounds very maybe subtle when it's written down, in practice, it's a bigger deal. The distribution phase of your life is a much more complicated phase as it relates to taxation, uh, leaving the funds to beneficiaries. Uh, making sure that volatility is held in check. It's not nearly as easy as just picking a lifestyle friend from your 401k. So I'm not saying that there's not a value in having a financial professional uh, early in your life. Matter of fact, there's a lot of debate there as to, you know, when should I hire a financial professional? Should it be 10 years out from retirement, five years out from retirement? I think there's a value at all life stages uh, up until you actually retire. And then definitely when you're in retirement, that said, um, when you get five years out, 10 years out, but definitely five years out, it is critical that you get all your ducks in a row, you know, the, the old adage, right? Because that switch is so dramatic and so much more complicated uh, from an income generation perspective, or at least an efficient, uh, efficient predictable income generation perspective, that you got to make sure you know what you're doing. So I would uh, ask anyone that I'm working with what they specialize in. Because certain people are going to be jacks of all trades, and that's fine. And others are going to specialize specifically in the distribution phase of retirement, which is what we do uh, here in my office. So make sure you ask that question. And then I would ask generically, 
Um, what are your opinions of mutual funds, ETFs, annuities, et cetera? That'll give you a good gauge on where they really specialize. For example, uh, do 25-year-olds need annuities? Probably not. Do 65-year-olds, could they benefit from annuities when they're reaching into their retirement years? Absolutely they could. Um, if somebody says, I think they're terrible, that kind of puts you in a line where they're not going to necessarily be open-minded about all the different investments that are out there available to somebody in retirement. Uh, because all of these things, all of these financial vehicles are just that. They're just tools. And is there a place for insurance? Yes. Is there a place for stocks? Yes. Is there a place for ETFs? Yes. And what you're really gauging here by asking the question, how do you feel about these different types of investments, is whether or not they're willing to utilize all the tools available to them to achieve the objectives that you want. And if somebody's only going to use one tool in the tool bag, well, I know we've talk, talked about this before, uh, a one-legged stool doesn't stand up very well in the face of adversity. So we want to make sure that as the market's going up, we win. But if the market's going down, we don't 100% lose either. We need predictable income streams from various sources. So ask them their opinion on how they feel about different types of investments and when they use each of them. And is that a gauge lastly, as to whether they're a fiduciary or not as well? Because if they're saying, no, don't do annuities, could that be because they're just trying to sell one product? Well, it is. And I think sometimes the word fiduciary is, is inappropriately thrown around. You know, I, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people in the marketplace who have said, uh, well, I'm working with a fiduciary who's a financial planner. And the reality is they don't even have a securities license to be able to do anything other than annuities or vice versa. They don't have an insurance license, so they can't do annuities. And I think you want to be with somebody that has the ability to do whatever it is that suits you the best. And in order to do that, they have to have the ability. You know, go to a Ford dealer and ask him if Dodge is better than Ford. And I bet you they're going to say Ford's better than Dodge. Well, they don't sell Dodges um, or, or Rams, I guess, whatever they, they're called these days. But the point is, make sure they have the breadth of knowledge and the ability via the appropriate licensure to be able to do what's ever appropriate for you. And then I think lastly, and this should never be overlooked, you should feel very comfortable with the person that you're working with. You should feel that they explain things in a way that you understand. And you should feel like this can be a very beneficial relationship for you in the long run. If you feel like somebody is talking down to you or they're just not your type of person, remember, you're going to be potentially with this person for decades uh, because, you know, they're going to be the ones that know the most about you. So it should be a great relationship, one that you enjoy uh, even if you're not a numbers person, uh, you should be able to enjoy the relationship and not dread going in to see your financial person. So fiduciary, have the ability to do all different types of investments, specialize in income distribution, and make sure you get along with the person. And uh, it was somebody that you would want to have a cup of coffee with, regardless of whether or not you were talking about finance. And I think a lot of people get intimidated by the language and the verbiage, and it is can, can be hard to understand, but people you know, don't want to ask questions for fear of looking stupid. Of course. And my job is to be able to explain the same concept in a myriad of different ways. If you want to get deep in the weeds and talk about, uh, you know, standard deviations and all sorts of complicated uh, finance, uh, you know, nerdery, then I'm happy to do it. If you want to talk conceptually about what would make my money go up or down and how do I protect myself and speak in terms uh, of very broad brushstrokes, happy to do that as well. The only thing I will not do is just say, trust me, 
you have to understand the general concept of what we're doing. And you have to understand why we're doing it. And you have to leave this office knowing more than when you came in. That's just that's great for both of us. And that's, uh, in, in my estimation, true f uh, fiduciary responsibility. We have about a minute left here. I wanted to talk about the importance of both spouses understanding and feeling comfortable with the advisor. Well, I think uh, the advisor and the client need to be on the same page. And in a situation where you have a husband and wife, the client is, in fact, both of them. Now, that's not always, you know, everybody's unique. Everybody's different. Some people certainly in the spousal scenarios don't want to be involved in, in the conversation. That's fine. That's your family unit. You get to decide. But in most scenarios that I encounter, it is hugely beneficial for both husband and wife to be on the same page and to understand at least uh, on a broad level what we're doing and why. It's also important for me to understand the motivations and dynamic between the two so that we can try and come up with a semblance of uh, unity between the two, uh, the two people that we're speaking of. Because if we have one going off the rails and the other one trying to bring it in the whole time, uh, not only can I not uh, say that this is going to be, I, I, I can't say that our plan is going to be successful because we're not following it, number one. But number two, you know, I mean, I'm sure we've all seen that right? When two spouses are not on the same page financially, it can wreak havoc on a marriage. It can wreak havoc on a financial plan. It can wreak havoc on a lot of things. So it's pretty critical that we get at least close to on the same page and as quickly as possible. To get a hold of Josh, the number is 614-364-7300, 614-364-7300. When we come back, more of the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show. We'll be back with more at the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick at 98.9 The Answer. To create a successful retirement plan in today's economy, it takes a customized, solutions-based approach. At Aptus Wealth Management, founder Josh Pick calls it the Aptus Blueprint, and it's focused on managing risk instead of chasing returns. If you're working with another advisor or simply want a second opinion, put his team to work for you. To schedule a complimentary consultation to learn more about the Aptus Blueprint process, contact Josh at 614-364-7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. There is no cost or obligation, but space is limited. To start your plan, call 614-364-7300. 7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. Welcome back to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. Josh, how do you help clients get ready to maximize potential opportunities as the economy continues to recover from, from COVID? Well, from the COVID lows of last year. You know, it, it is continuing to recover. And, and obviously, we had a heck of a year last year. Uh, again, it started off pretty abysmal. At one point, if you were investing in the S&P 500 last year, you had lost almost 40% of your money in a very short window. To turn around in a period of two months, November and December at the end of the year, go from even to up 18%. So it's quite the roller coaster ride of starting strong, going down to losing, you know, 40% of your money to coming back and being up. 18% uh, higher than when you started. That said, we don't know what the future holds. And as many people are saying that, uh, you know, the amount of stimulus spending that we're enacting, uh, insert your reason here, uh, the economy will go very, very well. We should continue to be more aggressive moving forward. There's an equal amount of people saying that everything we're enacting could cause a pullback. And there's positive, both positive and negative news on things like job reports, interest rates, et cetera. I think now more than ever, 
it is important to have a non-emotional rule-based plan for your investments. What does that mean? It means we don't let fear and greed drive our decisions, the two most powerful emotions. When the market had pulled back, back in March and April, the calls that I had with prospective and some existing clients was trying to talk people off the ledge from pulling more of their money out of the stock market. The conversations that I'm having now is talking in many cases, the same people off the ledge from trying to dump more and more of their money into the things that have been doing very, very well, which is in fact the stock market. So when things are going well, we have a fear of not being able to participate in that excitement, that euphoric growth, because our greed says we don't want to miss out. When the economy does really, really poorly, we have a fear of it never stopping going down. And how are we going to survive if we lose any more money? Those are as much as everybody listening right now is saying, well, yeah, I can see that, but I, I wouldn't fall into that category. It's very difficult when you're in it. It's very easy to see in retrospect. Just like it's very difficult to see that why would my fund potentially be doing not as well as the stock market today, when in turn, that fund may be preparing for something that you cannot see with your emotional mind. So a rules-based approach does just this. We have a financial plan that gives us the greatest possibility for long-term success by mitigating taxes, by minimizing the risk of something happening to one of our spouses, by maximizing the rate of re return we can get within a certain risk profile, et cetera. You need to stick to that plan. The more you deviate from that plan is where you end up blowing up the plan. And let me give you a very clear-cut example of that and why fear and greed are important. There was a fund called the Fidelity Magellan Fund that was available in almost every 401k known to man run by a guy named Peter Lynch. Over a period of 20 years, Peter Lynch was a maverick and knocked the lights out with a particular fund. I want to say the rate of return was upwards of 12% average annual over a period of 20 years, which was far and away better than what the overall market had done. Later, they didn't, uh, you know, kind of a, not a survey, but they did a, a study on what the average investor inside of that same fund returned, and it was less than 4% per year. And they go, how is that possible? The fees aren't that high, or what was happening? The reality was is uh, that particular fund was very volatile during that period of time. So when the fund pulled back, many people got out. And when the fund started taking off again, everybody didn't want to miss the boat, so everybody got back in. And what ended up happening is they would have been better off by buying a CD at the bank over the same time period when the fund that they were in, if they just would have left it alone and not did anything, would have you know, more than doubled what any CD had earned. So the takeaway here is as we try and maximize the potential uh, for opportunity in the economy moving forward, we have to do the same things that we should have been doing up to this point. And that is have a rules-based discipline approach to the way that we're investing, make sure that we have multiple income stream possibilities moving forward through the use of not just stocks, bonds, gold, uh, commodities, annuities, uh, rental properties, et cetera, but we wanna make sure we have multiple legs on that stool so that if the economy in fact pulls back again, it doesn't topple over. So I cannot emphasize enough, as we enter into more uncertain times potentially, you have to have a plan. And I know I sound like a broken record saying that, but the clients who do well in the long run are always the ones 
that have a rules-based, non-emotional plan in place. You're listening cool. to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. To schedule your own planning session and to learn new strategies to manage risk, call Aptus at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. So the markets are pretty unpredictable. Um, should people just, as you've mentioned in the past, just stick with their plan and kind of ignore what's going on in the markets because you have your three-legged stool in place and just so you can kind of weather these high ups and high downs of the market? I think, you know, you need a rules-based approach, of course, but that rules-based approach is not necessarily static. So let me give an example. Um, many rules-based approaches did not do well in November of last year. So the market you know, it was relatively flat through, it was, I think it was up 1% through uh, the end of October in 2020. Uh, a lot of rules-based approaches for balanced investors did far better than that. Um, I can think of many funds that we have that drastically outperformed the market over that time period. You know, the tune of four times the rate of return through October. Then November hits. And what happened in November, the market went up gangbusters, almost 10%. What changed that caused the market to go up 10%? Nobody really knows. Um, you know, were, were, job, were joblessness uh, rates better? Not really. Uh, tons of people were still filing for unemployment. Um, were we through the holiday season yet? No, we're in November, so we don't know what, you know, holiday shopping rates look like. Uh, were interest rates better? Not really. Um, you really can't point your finger on a bunch of great things that happened in November, but yet the market went gangbusters. So it's easy to look back and go, well, you were wrong. You played it too close to the vest. You should have been invested more aggressively. You know, if you're investing in the stock market and you're looking at a 30-day window, um, you're probably in the wrong place. Sometimes it takes a long period of time for the realistic trend to uncover itself. Now, does that mean that you should just put all of your money in the S&P 500 and then the rest of the money in the bond market, the you know, Blue Barclays Aggregate Bond Index? Uh, I don't think that's the best idea either, and, and history really has proven that. What you can do, even though it's a rules-based, consistent approach, is you can create parameters that would cause your plan to do different things. So, for example, if you look at interna international stocks today versus domestic stocks, what does that correlation need to look like to shift your allocation to more international versus more domestic or vice versa? You create a rules-based approach that would cause you to slightly alter the plan that you're in. For example, over the last 10 years, it would have been very advantageous to have a disproportionate amount of money uh, that you have in growth large cap stocks as opposed to value. But now you may, your rules-based approach may make a judgment call that value makes more sense today than growth. So do you try and make sense of the nonsensical markets on a daily basis? Not really. What do you do? The same thing that Warren Buffett and all of the other you know, prudent investors, uh, Graham, have been doing since the beginning of time. And that is you look at what is the value of the companies that you're investing in. And then beyond that, what does the status of the economy look like in relation to that company? In other words, is it a favorable market for that type of company and the products that they deliver? What do taxes look like, et cetera? And then you invest in that company for a period of time that is longer than one month. So I think to answer your question, how do you try and make any semblance of logic here? The same way we've always done in trying to ignore the short-term trends, which is becoming increasingly difficult 
as the media loves to be very polarizing, not in just politics, but in investment structure as well. You know, you got people smacking buttons going, buy, sell, right? <laughs> when in reality, prudent investing is not day trading. And I think when the economy goes very well, we saw it in 99, uh, and we're starting to see it again. Uh, when the market goes up gangbusters for no reason, anybody can pick winners. And sometimes you pick so many winners in spite of yourself that you think you have stuff figured out. And then it comes crashing down. So be cautious, have a plan, seek education and advice where necessary, work with fiduciaries, and develop an objective system for how you're going to reach your goals. Not a, you know, I've been seeing a lot of uh, this as I've been walking around. That's probably a good investment. I'll go buy that. That's a short-term solution. Sometimes it works, but it does not typically work in the long run. Would you advise people not to watch those shows? Or is there one that you would recommend that you, that you like how they present the information? And well, I, You know, again, I think that all information is, can be useful. Now, maybe that usefulness is, wow, I'm glad that I learned that that is stupid. <laughs> you know, I mean, it doesn't always have to be positive information. But everybody has their own little, you know, I mean, listen, Dave Ramsey's got some very good uh, information on debt reduction. He, much like myself, believes in the power of momentum, meaning that rather than aim for the credit cards to pay off with the interest rate first, rather aim for the lower ones so you, you actually get one out of the way and get that momentum. So I agree with him in a lot of respects there. But when it comes to uh, his investment philosophies on the tail end of that and expected returns, we delineate there. So, you know, does that say, because I don't agree with some things that he says, uh, you shouldn't listen to him? Of course not. There's a huge value there. The same thing is true of people like, you know, uh, Susie Orman. I disagree with a lot more that she says than I agree with, but nevertheless, she does have some uh, valuable things. So I wouldn't discourage anybody from listening to any of it. What I would discourage is um, listening to the more sensational and the more ironclad somebody's opinion, usually the more ridiculous it is. So be cautious and make sure you have a sounding board, whether that's my office or another trusted advisor, to bounce those ideas off and, and understand what are the pros and cons in both. Because remember, their goal is to have a highly rated radio show, not to be the best advisor necessarily on the planet. So they have to be polarizing. That's what we ask for. Well, luckily, we have both here on this radio show. Right, and the right, number to right. call for the Aptus Wealth Management Office is 614-364-7300. 614-364-7300. Mondays at 6, join Josh as he talks to Bruce Hooley for Money Mondays on 98.9 The Answer. That's every Monday at 6 p.m. You can hear that conversation as well at aptuswealth.com. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. We will be here next week as well, and we will talk to you then. You've been listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint radio show with host Josh Pick. Josh helps guide his clients through retirement by managing risk instead of chasing returns. He calls it a blueprint, and you can get started at no cost or obligation. Give the team at Aptus Wealth a call today to schedule your consultation at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300 or online at aptuswealth.com. That's A-P-T-U-S wealth.com. To learn strategies to manage risk in the new economy, join us again next weekend right here at 98.9 The Answer.
Any comments regarding safe and secure investments and guaranteed income streams refer only to fixed insurance products. They do not refer in any way to securities or investment advisory products. Fixed insurance and annuity product guarantees are subject to the claims paying ability of the issuing company. 